and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last time. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. As we continue to feature candidates on the ballot this November, it's been really heartening to receive suggestions, very diverse suggestions, from across Pennsylvania. But you know, I was quite surprised when two listeners outside of Pennsylvania both independently suggested that we sit down with candidates for a school board race in York County. After doing more research, I'm no longer surprised. The Central York School District has made not only a national name, but an international name for itself. Now, regardless of your political party, Banning books in the 21st century, let me rephrase that, curtailing and stifling learning opportunities for the next generation of Pennsylvanians, it just does not make a lot of sense to me. And that's why I'm very excited to sit down with two everyday average Pennsylvanians, Amy Milston and Joel Fulkmer. Not too long ago, neither one of them would have ever thought to be on a ballot for public office. Today, They're running for office in what just might be the most contentious and historic school board race in Pennsylvania history. Central York School District tonight voting on a contentious book ban. Earlier in the month, Central York High School principals sent educators a list of books not to teach, nearly all by authors of color. Amy Milston and Joel Folkemer, welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I am looking forward to covering so many topics, and I don't know that I can follow in the footsteps of Fox News or Don Lemon or any of these other folks that you've uh, uh, engaged with, but we have uh, listeners all across the Commonwealth and beyond, and a lot of them said, well, what, what are you doing sitting down talking with school board candidates? You have 2022 looming, but I think what you all are encountering as you're at the doors is going to still resonate, and there's ripple effects that we'll be talking about in 2022. But before we plunge in even deeper, Amy, I'd love to, ladies first, learn a little more about your background and why you decided to uh, to run for office for the first time. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Ari. So I, um, I'm from Philadelphia, suburbs of Philadelphia originally. My degree's in, in biology, and that's what my... my my career was was in the sciences, and so I worked in a virology testing lab, and I worked for Merck Pharmaceuticals in the quality assurance area, and then I met my husband and moved to York, Pennsylvania, and it was kind of a culture shock, and it's 19 years now. It's still pretty much a culture shock living in York County. It's very different in many cultural ways, and probably number one is politically. It's very different from the Philadelphia area. I never really gave politics a whole lot of thought back then. I voted, and I was aware of what was going on, but it certainly wasn't really up there at the top of my radar. And so uh, I moved here. I had got married, had my kids. My my oldest has autism. So his whole childhood was spent really just getting him all the accommodations he needs, all the therapies he, ne- he needed. And so that was pretty much my whole life. I also have a, a daughter who's a couple of years younger. Now they're both in high school together. And so I started substitute teaching a few years back um, as something to do that was a completely a flexible type of job, even though I don't have a teaching degree. And I loved it. I, I taught within our district. So I only taught 
taught in Central York School District, and I taught in all levels, K through 12, at all the schools. We have seven schools in our district, and I taught in all those schools. And so I got to see a lot of what was going on in the classroom, got to interact with tons and tons of students and tons and tons of teachers. And I got to see firsthand, without being an employee of the district, really what was going on in the schools and some of the issues. I got to see even just one day at a time as a substitute, got to see really some of the issues that are facing us today and that are still issues that are facing uh, the schools and the teachers and the administration today. So it was very enlightening and I think a very different perspective than most people that run for school boards because I've actually been in the classrooms. So I fast forward to last uh, last summer uh, when there were um, a social studies curriculum had come up for a review because uh, we have been falling behind in our state standards and falling behind in our in our testing throughout the the county and the state. And so a a new curriculum in social studies was was brought up for review. And rather than address it and look at it and try to find out what it was about and and then approving it, which is what most boards do because they're not educators and that's really more of a formality for them to approve curriculum that are vetted by teachers and administrators. But they just kind of put it to the side and said, oh, I'm not so sure that we want to do this. We have to look into it more. I think they were afraid because there was diversity and inclusion uh, units in there. There were some fear that maybe there was some stuff that might make them feel uncomfortable, something, you know, maybe critical race theory, which is a a buzzword that's used quite often uh, these days. That is just really a made up concept for a K through 12 environment. It's not it's not a topic that's taught in K through 12 schools anywhere in the entire country, from my knowledge, and certainly not in Central York School District. But people, uh, once fear has been induced and and, and uh, introduced into a discussion, people kind of run with it for some reason. And so they set it aside and, and didn't review it. And it was very a lot of people were very upset. A lot of students were upset. A lot of teachers were very upset at the setting aside of this this decision. And so it was in the wake of George Floyd and a lot of the other violence against people of color last summer. And it was just kind of a very electrified environment. And so I got involved in a protest that happened last September. And at that time, there was some discussion about if you want to do something about it, if you want to help, you can run for school board. And I, it just kind of planted the seed in my mind at that time. I wasn't really sure. I didn't even know when the next election was. I didn't know anything about it. Never would have dreamed of running for school board or any other uh, political office. And so it just kind of planted the seed. I thought about it. And then I didn't really do anything about it until uh, one of the candidates announced that he was going to run for judge and he left the school board. And so I applied for his position for, for this school, for this calendar year. I, was, I applied for that seat on the school board. And um, I was not even interviewed because the the current board got to choose who they interviewed and who they did not. And um, I think from my application, they could tell that I was a different thinking process than maybe they had. And so I was not even interviewed. And then after that, it kind of lit my fire a little more. And when I was approached to run back in the late I guess the late fall, uh, early winter of, of last year, I, I said, you know what? I think rather than complain and just be frustrated at how I, my hands are tied and I can't do anything, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and I'm going to run. So that's how I got involved. Amy, thank you. I'm reminded of the old line from President Roosevelt that the credit belongs to those in the arena. And too many folks do just sit on the sidelines and complain. But thank you for plunging in thank to you. this whirlwind. And I realize we're in the final uh, final weeks and hours of this campaign. Uh, Joel, tell, tell folks a little about your background. Yeah, thanks again for, for having us on here. 
I'm a Lutheran pastor in the city of York. And um, so part of our big ministry there and part of my ministry as a pastor is to really kind of work for for justice, for equity, for for making sure that the people who are often pushed to the sides, pushed to the margins are the ones that are being served. And, you know, as, as Amy said, as as I started paying attention to the school board more and more because of the pandemic, because of choices around uh, safety measures and things like that, that they were making or not making. And then also stuff going on with the curriculum, like she said, that, that they started questioning these uh, curricula that were, that were put forward because they felt that there was some hidden agenda that the teachers had. Um, that's when they started conflating things like CRT and Marxism and socialism and all this other stuff is, is somehow that meeting state standards was, was indoctrinating our kids uh, into something that would hate everything and everyone. And so, like Amy said, I was at those those rallies uh, last year as, as they were already pushing back against diversity and, and how diversity is the same as Marxism and there's no such thing as racism in our school district. Or if there is, it's the only racism that there is is against white people, this whole myth of reverse racism. So that became their talking points. And uh, like I said, someone, I got two kids in the district, fourth and sixth grade. A huge part of our ministry down in the city is speaking out against against racism and, and bigotry and things like that. And so, of course, I got involved and our family got involved and kind of like Amy started getting people asking me, talking to me about running for school board. And uh, honestly, I said no the first few times because I just didn't think I had the time for it. And as you said, we're getting near the end of the campaign and it's it's a total whirlwind right now. And, yeah, it's definitely stretching. But, you know, I, I truly believe that if enough people start recognizing something in you, gifts or abilities or or, or something that you can do to help make a change that, that you should listen. And so finally, I, I said, sure, yes, I'll run. I'll put my you know actions where my words are. Uh, we had a great conversation with our family, even our kids at nine and 11 were, uh, you know, able to kind of see and understand what our family stands for, what our faith stands for, and uh, that it's important for us to stand up against against things like this. So I put my name in the ring and um, it's been amazing to have the opportunity uh, to run alongside Amy, as well as uh, Becky Rick, who's running with us, who's been teaching 34, this is our 34th year teaching in the school district of the city of York. They love to attack the fact that we shouldn't have a teacher on the school board when, in fact, you know, what we'll talk about a little bit later, I think, is all these curriculum and educational programs that they keep kicking down the road. What better person to have on the school board, someone who actually understands, has been trained as a, as a leader in her field in education and can can actually speak with authority on curriculum and programs and standards and all those things. And then finally, we have Corey Thurman running with us as well. Uh, retired major league baseball player. He's got he played for the minor league team here in York. Then towards the end of his career, he has the most wins for the York Revolution. Uh, so he's kind of a local celebrity there. He's also a coach. He coaches hitting, pitching, catching, things like that for kids. Uh, my own son takes pitching lessons from him. Uh, he's an amazing, personable guy. Like he's you put him in a crowd, he becomes friends with everybody. He's he's an amazing man. He's also a uh, you know an African American. He's he's a black man. He's a he's a man of color. That our district is is the second most diverse district in New York County. Um, we are sixty eight percent white and thirty two percent a number of other different ethnicities and and races that make us the beautiful diverse district that we are. And right now we have an all white board. And so to have someone that can help represent people who often don't have that voice is is extremely crucial to get on our board as well. There's also two other people running. For two-year terms, Amelia McMillan, amazing mind, amazing person, 
pushes for, again, justice and equity, also great in the business world, helps to manage a number of different restaurant chains and things like that, or uh, not chains, but businesses in New York City and in York County and around the country. She's running. And then also Dr. Lydell Nunn, who's a local chiropractor. Uh, again, very personable guy, extremely good with people. Brilliant, brilliant man. And another man of color that that's running. And so we have the opportunity to truly make the board more diverse this year with our slate of candidates. Well, Joel, thank you on multiple levels uh, for what you're doing in the community and also for plunging in. And you touched on a few points that I know we'll get to, the mechanics of the campaign uh, in these final weeks and what you're hearing at the doors, uh, and then also the substantive policy issues regarding curriculum and and other matters. Um, If I understand correctly, the two of you and the other candidates on the slate, you didn't necessarily know each other uh, this time last year or even a few months ago, which is also incredible. We have listeners, we've crossed over 5,000 listeners across Pennsylvania, but in in New York, D.C., elsewhere. And and I'm hearing you correctly, this is not the city of York. Correct. And I think listeners, uh, I don't know how many listeners we have in York County, but if you all could maybe sum up in three sentences each, you know, when you think of your community. You have the two, you have the two candidates that don't do well summing things up, but we're going to try. Yes. You're gonna I'll give you a little leeway, leeway to four or five <laughs> sentences, but look, I mean, I, my, my point is right, I, I definitely know that we have listeners who have door knocked around elections. They come up from Maryland. They come up from DC. They're familiar with York County in that regard. We certainly have a lot of listeners in the Harrisburg area that are familiar with 83 traffic, whether or not they live in York, I don't know. But just give folks a little sense. Amy, you alluded to this, so the changes over the 19 years. But give, give folks a sense of your neighborhoods and communities. We actually recently found out that the kind of the breakdown is, so oh, York County York County itself has about 400,000 residents. And so it's not tiny by any stretch of the imagination, but it's 49% Republican and 49 point something percent, like 0.7%, so almost 50%. Then it's about 32 or 3% Democrat, and then the rest are independent or unaffiliated. So it really is an uphill battle as a Democrat to get elected to any office in York County. You basically just have to breathe and and intake oxygen and express carbon dioxide to get elected as a Republican here. You don't really have to do anything. As a Democrat, it's just a slog. And um, so we are in, we're in a really difficult, but we think very tenable uh, position. And that is because of all that's been going on in our board, on our board and, and kind of the negative press we've received lately. So it's helping us get the word out. And so even though there's a lot more people we have to reach and get out to the polls to vote, we're, we're, I think we're resonating with those voters. And we're even able to get a lot of the more moderate Republicans to kind of pay attention and realize that, hey, this is a school board. This is not some political position. School board should never be political positions. That's why we're allowed to cross file in the primary. And we all do. We all did. All, all of us did. Uh, and then they were calling us out for cross filing as Republicans, but they also cross filed as Democrats in the primary. So hypocrisy at its best. But yeah, so this should not be a political office. And I think a lot of Republicans that live in this in this county are really are fed up with what's been going on in our district. And so they are absolutely considering, if not flat out supporting us, uh, they're considering supporting us. So we're very hopeful that we are going to be able to make a dent into that majority Republican voter base and, and actually win this thing. It's, it's very possible for us. Very exciting, actually. So I don't know if that answered your question, but <laughs> kind of went off on a tangent there because I do that. 
Joel. <laughs> so uh, Ari, if you want to maybe just give me one more time, I mean, you're looking just general about the community or how things are going. What are we looking for here? When I think about York County, I think about a lot of the changes that Amy uh, referenced and also a deep divide between the city of York and uh, the communities outside right. of it. So just and kind of you know, I think anyone that has sure. looked at 83 during rush hour pre-pandemic with cars going to and from the city of Baltimore knows how much growth has uh, has happened also in York County. But I'm just an outsider originally from the Lehigh Valley. So I'd be curious uh, yeah, give a sense of, uh, I don't even know, frankly, what townships sure, right. are encompassed in your school district. So we can get granular. Uh, and I think our listeners would appreciate that. So, yeah, I mean, central York is, is just north of the city of York. So if you're looking on a map, it's just north and then kind of swings around to the east. There's another district called Suburban, which is directly south of the district and then uh, the city and then hugs the city on the east side. But we kind of Go. I'm using my hands to talk as if people can can see that. And uh, but so it's it's north northeast of the city of York. So if you're looking on a map, that's where we are. It's it's Manchester Township. It's Springettsbury Township. It includes a couple of small towns, Emmitsville and Manchester, and, you know things like that. And so it, it includes a couple of small towns in in our district there as well. But it's mostly township area. And and North and North York Borough. Don't forget North. Yeah. And the, and the North York Borough, correct, which is exact, which is bumps right up against the city itself. It has a lot of the same feeling of the city in terms of the. It, it, you almost wouldn't know if you're driving through the city. You wouldn't really know you went into a whole nother borough, except for the big sign saying you're in North York now. And so it's it's a very uh, suburban kind of area. There are farm fields and things like that, but there's tons of developments popping up because, like you said, there's people who live work in uh, all around. 83 and Route 30 gets you about anywhere you want to be pretty quickly, except for during rush hour. Uh, and so we got a lot of people that work down in Baltimore, Harrisburg, even some D.C. people, people in Lancaster, all the way over to Gettysburg and Adams County. So in a lot of ways, it's it's kind of a bedroom community like that. But it's it's got a it's got a life of its own. It's got a lot of organizations, got a lot of businesses and uh, factories and things like that here. So it's a huge range uh, of population, socioeconomic diversity, as well as as it's kind of ethnic uh, diversity. We have, you know, children who are homeless in our district. We have people in million dollar homes in our district. It's just a huge breadth of of population because of where we're located. Well, I want to plunge into uh, what we've touched upon uh, and listeners may or may not uh, be familiar with, but I, I can't think of a single school board race in Pennsylvania history that's received the amount of national attention uh, that this race has received. So if you could just provide uh, maybe Amy the, the genesis of what happened, and then and then Joel, if you can provide a little of the um, the fireworks that have ensued since uh, uh, that, that that fateful vote. So Joel's all about the fireworks, so that's perfect. Um, <laughs> so the the book ban. So the genesis. This all started back, uh, and I alluded to this earlier. Started back when last summer with the George Floyd and other uh, people of color and and the violence uh, that the, the the murder of these people um, at the hands of law enforcement and um, kind of the outrage that came from that. That happened, you know, late summer or late spring, early summer, and when schools were already out. And so, you know, there was so much in the news about it at the time. And uh, teachers were concerned when they came back to school that students were going to come back and they were going to question um, what happened 
and and ask questions because they should because it's a very big deal and they want to know about it so they didn't really know where to go where to look and so we have a diversity committee at central york uh, this diversity committee has been in this is its 16th year in existence even though they tried to get rid of it a few years ago the current a lot of people on the current board were, were there at the time and made the decision to try to save some money by firing the uh, uh, diversity specialist that we had in the district, but luckily that didn't happen. But in any case, we have a wonderful diversity committee. And normally they just meet during the school year once a month. And it was during COVID and it was the summer, but they decided because of this concern and because teachers were, were speaking and saying, we really need some help here, they decided to have some Zoom meetings over the summer last summer. So this is summer of 2020. And they, they basically just called each other and said, hey, what do you guys, you know, which books, which articles, which documentaries, which TED Talks do you think would be helpful here? And they just started yelling stuff out and somebody typed it all in and it was just a brain dump. It was literally a repository. It was being called that a, a repository of resources. It wasn't anything more than that. It was literally just that. There were book lists on there, children's book lists. Uh, more, you know, young adult type stuff and stuff that really is just for adults. It was everything. And it was just put on this list. So fast forward to this whole social studies curriculum coming up for review. It came up in the first couple board meetings of last fall, September of 2020. And that's when they tabled it because they were concerned that this new curriculum, which had some, I guess, units about diversity and inclusion. It was part of the, the curriculum and there was definitely uh, lessons about slavery and racism were included in that to some extent, although I have not seen the curriculum, so I can't tell you how much um, or how little was in there, um, but definitely uh, the history of America has those things in it. And so there was fear that the curriculum itself and this new list that was created would get, the, the two would be conflated and teachers would go to this list to use the curriculum and use those resources in teaching the curriculum. And so rather than trusting that our teachers and our administrators who are professionals would know, first of all, age appropriateness of certain resources and also just general appropriateness, you know, not getting too far politically one way or the other, if there was any concern about that, not trusting them to do that, not trusting our administrators to oversee that. They chose to just stop everything. And the quote, I believe, that was used in the November 2020 meeting that was ultimately ended up in a vote to table the, uh, well, they can call it, you can call it table or freeze, or in their words, kill the list. The, the, actual, the actual quote was, kill the list and direct the administration and teachers not to use these resources. And so that's kind of how this happened. There was an, there was an actual directive from the board to absolutely not allow any of these resources until they could vet them. They said, until we review them, until that we review them, we cannot let them use these resources. So that happened last November. So then the, the natural question is, why are we hearing about yeah, this? Now? I feel like we could vet ch illustrated children's book in a, less than a weekend. Uh, I don't know what it takes. Uh, okay. Yes, absolutely. And so I think they just, they set it aside and they, they didn't want to look at the social studies curriculum. They, like Joel said, there were all these other curricula that came up as well in ELA and health and guidance. And they just kind of let those sit there as well. You know, COVID was a big thing last year. 
I think COVID kind of became, you know, whether we should be in school, not be in school, remote learning, Zoom learning, you know, what's happening with the kids, you know, all of that was going on. So they just kind of let it sit. And because it wasn't, it just wasn't a focus. Um, it just sat. And I think we wrongfully, but we assumed as a community, as, as parents and, and families, that they were doing their job, that they were reviewing this list, that it, it did indeed get vetted at some point. And, you know, we never really heard about it other than after that vote in November of 2020. So when August came of this year, 2021, August 11th, which was exactly a week before the school, school year started, Ryan Kaufman, who is the, the principal, the head principal of our high school, sent an email to his teachers, to his staff, and the subject line on the email was banned resources. And the list, the PDF that was attached, was uh, named banned resource list. And that list was sent to all the teachers, and basically it said, remember, you can't use any of these resources in your, in your classes, in your, in your plans, in your lesson plans. Make sure that none of these resources are being used in your lessons. And that's when the proverbial, you know what, hit the fan. And that's when... The fireworks. So the fireworks hit the fan. Yes, exactly. The fireworks. So now I guess we're now at the fireworks part. So I guess it's Joel. Joel, you're apparently an expert on fireworks. <laughs> so uh, what do you got? There was stuff going on throughout the year, like I said, the name you mentioned. There was, there was other issues, other controversies that came up, other things where people were upset. And yeah, I think a lot of people kind of said, all right, well, they said they're going to look at it, so maybe they will. The other thing we continually heard over and over again was that there was going to be this new curriculum committee headed up by Veronica Gemma, who's, who's one of the people running against us, who was the one who had the quote of let's kill the list, who's one of the people who's been quoted in newspapers for, for uh, racist remarks, who in my opinion is not the one you should have running a curriculum committee. Uh, one reason why we're running against her. But uh, yeah, so she kept talking about we're going to meet, we're going to meet, we're going to meet. It still hasn't happened. They still have not met this curriculum committee that was going to vet these resources, vet the curricula, vet the math program, do all these different things, continues not to meet. And, you know, that's not leadership. That's not, you know, doing your job as a school board member. That's just kicking things down the road and hoping that nobody notices. But eventually people began to notice again, as Amy said, especially when that, that email went out and all of a sudden people found out, no, they haven't done any of the work they said they were going to do. And now all these resources, including autobiography, you know, biographies on Rosa Parks and MLK Jr. and Jackie Kennedy and Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt. You know, it's just it's just insane. Like like you said, that that all these things they could have looked at and said, All right, maybe I have concern about this, this, and this, but the rest of these are perfectly fine. Why are they on this list? So it shows that they didn't even for a moment look at this. Like you said, it, it wouldn't take more than a few minutes to go, Oh right, all these who was or what happened when books and all those types of things, those are all okay. Uh, Derek Jeter was banned. A PBS documentary was banned. A CNN in Sesame Street Town Hall you know, was banned. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to ask you all to do uh, an Elmo impersonation, but um, I should have asked this from the uh, from the jump. Remind listeners how many uh, members of the board there are, and then how long a term is, and then how often the board uh, meets. Yeah, there are nine nine people on the board. There are four-year terms, but like I said at the very beginning, there's four of us running for four-year terms that are up just in part of the cycle rotation. And then there's two others running for special elections because of resignations that are just two-year terms. So there's actually six seats up in the air. That's another reason why this is such a big election. We could totally flip the direction of this board and get our district going in the right direction again. They meet twice a month. 
they have a planning meeting once a month and then they have the action meeting once a month and then committees can meet at another time. And so that's how these, that's how their process works. They have executive meetings as well. And so they have for a year pretty much just done absolutely nothing in terms of their job of, of the four curricula, the, the math program and vetting any sort of this resource list. And so what happened was the word got out. There is uh, the Panther Panthers Against Racism Union, Haru, uh, students uh, led. And with, of course, you know, faculty advisors at the high school, they started getting uh, louder about this. They held daily protests outside the high school leading up to board meetings, demanding that they, they, get, they change the vote on this list. Uh, the first time they did that, the, the board doubled down. They said, oh, this, well, these books, it was just a coincidence that some of these resources were on there. Again, proving they did nothing to actually look at this. They went off a couple things that a couple of parents didn't like because they said that their kids felt guilty about being white. And the movie that was in question, and this includes a board member's child, this the movie in question was Just Mercy. It wasn't some huge, hard-hitting documentary on, on racism and, and things like that throughout throughout the country. It's it's a it's a movie and they saw it in class. It's part of the AP required uh, curriculum for social studies and things like that. And so they saw it and the person was concerned. And then that, of course, fed into the whole CRT and socialism and indoctrination and reverse racism and all these other conspiracy theory talking points that they continually put. So they doubled down. This was just a coincidence that this happened. They said it was a coincidence, a coincidence that that there were authors. They were all written by authors of color or about people of color. That was a that was a coincidence. Yes. Thank you, Amy. Yes, yes. That, that was the quote. And I couldn't quite get it in my head. I might be opening up a can of worms, Pandora's box here. Uh, when I'm hearing this, it just raises my curiosity. Do you think this was organic coming from Central York, or do you think that based on national winds and outside stakeholders and actors with an agenda that such a list and these developments occurred? I, d- I do think it's, it's a combination of both. I think it's following QAnon conspiracy theories. And we know that, that uh, Veronica Gemma on the board has shared publicly QAnon uh, conspiracy theories on her Facebook page. She's on Parler and follows all the QAnon, so many of the different QAnon, whatever they are called on Parler. I don't have a Parler account. Groups that they follow there. She's part of, you know, spreading the QAnon conspiracy theory of the big lie and, and stuff <laughs> like that, that COVID tests give you cancer, that, that the vaccine makes you sterile, you know, all those nice things that, that she's been publicly saying and publicly doing. And so she's definitely, and, and I believe this group is definitely following those talking points. The people who are coming to the board meetings to speak against these things are using those QAnon conspiracy theorists talking points. We also know that there's a, a pack, a group, a, a person who the QAnon conspiracy theorist father that just donated $10,000 to their campaign um, because they want this person, these types of people to control the school boards. Again, this is not a Republican Democrat thing. And I think that's we have to be careful in our messaging and, and everybody else has to be careful in the messaging. We're not saying Republicans are evil. No, what we're saying is that these conspiracy theorists, that these ultra extreme views do not do not belong in a school board and we need to be using actual you know science study education to to help best you know move our our district in the right direction and so yeah i i think it's it's a combination of both some of these board members believe these things themselves and then they're also using the talking points coming from 
from the outside groups, pushing them, you know, in, in, inspiring them to continue this work. You know, it wasn't until a week after it was a week later. So they had, they had a meeting and they had that quote that Amy was able to share that it's just a coincidence that these are all written by people of color or about people of color. It wasn't intended that way. It's just a coincidence that that happened. And they kind of doubled down on the list. Well, a week later is after Don Lemon, Fox News, New York Times, Japanese newspaper. We were interviewed by a Japanese uh, reporter. You know, we are international news. It wasn't until we hit international news that all of a sudden they all came back with carefully crafted, I don't even know if they're apologies, but just kind of carefully crafted messages and then reversed their quote unquote, they call it the freeze because they, they don't think it was a ban to say you're not allowed to use things in the school in the school classrooms. And so that, of course, led to more stuff going on and people really pushing back against that. And now the people on their side are complaining because these these items aren't aren't, aren't back in. And so it really has. It's stirred up a lot of different stuff. It's pointed out the whole track record. Uh, we had community members have put together like a two year or over two year timeline of things that these board members have done. Uh, that have been, you know, pushing back against some of the people of color or people in the LGBTQIA plus community. It's just, you know, we could go on and on and on. You know, that's where you kind of laughed when you said 25, you know, 45 minutes and whatever for the for the interview. I mean, it's just the reality. There's so much that this board has done that's that's embarrassed our community, put us in the national spotlight for all the wrong reasons, and has truly gotten in the way of what our district should be doing, providing a safe and free education to our to the students of our district. When the vote came to reverse the quote-unquote freeze or ban or whatever you want to call it, when that vote um, happened, the president of the board, um, Jane Johnson, her statement was kind of very telling because in her statement, she, she voted to reverse the ban, but she, she made it very conditional. And the condition was that for now, and you could, you know, the subliminal messaging was because we're getting so much pressure from the press all over the country and the world, uh, we're going to reverse it. However, this is a temporary and it's temporary because our superintendent of 12 years resigned. He resigned in the middle of the spring last year, and uh, he was supposed to leave this month. He actually left um, September 3rd. Deduce anything you'd like uh, from the timing of everything. Um, the first article about the book ban came out September 1st, so you can you know do the math there. I'm not going to say anything, but he left early on, and so when because he he announced his his retirement resignation, this board was able to do a superintendent search. They were in charge of it 100% and they chose somebody. And um, this person is starting, um, he's officially starting November, the middle of November, which happens to be within two weeks after the election. And so this ban has been lifted, but Jane Johnson, the president, has said that it's only lifted until they can vet the resources with the new superintendent. So again, the you know underlying message there is, okay, well, we picked this guy, and if our op- opponents don't win and we're still in power here, and by the way, she's not going to be, she actually is, she's up for re-election this year, but she's not going for re-election. So she will only be on the board until December anyway. But they are going to revisit this list um, in, in November and possibly reinstate some of the books onto the ban list. Um, so this is very conditional and the timing is, is pretty obvious. 
You both have been super generous with your time, and uh, you, you alluded, and I don't know that listeners are familiar, the amount of money that has been thrown uh, into this race uh, to protect these incumbents. Uh, so if we could just, as we wind down, speak a little to the mechanics. You're both first-time candidates. You're running as a diverse slate, but as you mentioned, there's multiple municipalities. It shouldn't necessarily matter what people are registered to vote, but and we also were coming out of a global pandemic. So mechanically, how is everything going? And the, you know, I assume it's door to door, old fashioned yard signs, but give listeners a sense. It's been amazing. Like Amy said, we're getting support from so many different people. Uh, people are chipping in donations. Uh, we're getting donations uh, from so many different people, which is, which is just absolutely amazing. People want to see the change that's sorely needed here. So we are out knocking on doors. Amy's our, uh, or I think our door leader by, you know, hundreds. She's the professional door knocker. We're making phone calls. We have people that are volunteering to to do phone banking for us, to knock on doors with us. And that's truly, that's the biggest piece of, of winning is just connecting with voters. And so that is our biggest ask is for people to, to, to phone bank for us, people to come and knock doors with us. We're able to have enough money for kind of digital campaigning through social media and paid ads and stuff like that, which has been amazing. Uh, we're able to get some mailers done. Uh, we're getting people donating their time that are professionals helping us to do these things because of how important this truly is. And so it, it's quite the operation, actually, for, like you said, for a school board race. But that's what's given us the best chance to win is because so many people recognize the need for this, that they are donating their time, their resources, you know, financial donations. You know, we continue to need to keep ads rolling, get the mailers out there. Uh, we got hundreds, you know, probably 600 signs going out, which for school boy race is a lot, maybe not for, you know, statewide stuff, but for, you know, you're seeing more stuff out there than ever before. And people are talking about, and one of the coolest things uh, is so many people that are saying, I've never voted in a school boy race in my life, but I'm voting this time and I'm voting for you guys. Or, you know, I, I would usually don't vote for a Democrat, but, but these people don't represent my understanding of what, what being a Republican truly is. And there's so much more, like we said, that we could talk about. So many things they've done, including and just toss out there. Most recently, they just <laughs> actually, yeah, I'm going to share this because this is this is one of the most powerful moments of the campaign so far. I think is the last school board meeting. They had an emergency decision to write a what's it called, Amy? A, a, a Mika? Save me, save me, save me, Amy. I have to. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I had to unmute myself. It's an amicus brief. Save me, Amy. It's an amicus brief. Yeah, amicus brief. Thank you. <laughs> I like amica better. I don't know what an amica is, but that's what I'm going to call it from now on. An amicus brief. I, I maybe was not a the best student back when I was uh, in the Parkland School District in Lehigh County, but I think it's amica and amicus. It's a Latin thing, right? Singular versus uh, plural. So. Oh. oh okay. Well. My husband, my husband is a lawyer, and he said it's an amicus brief. So whatever Amy says, I believe. So yeah, so they they had this crucial thesis. They want to be part of this lawsuit against the state to, to fight the mask mandate, and it's too late for them to join as a as a plaintiff. So they wanted to at least join with this this brief, and so they they had to have because it was due like the next day. They had this emergency. They added this to the agenda, which. You know, one of the biggest thing they that again that we fight against and argue is there's just pure lack of transparency. Once again, they added an item to the agenda at the last second, and then they passed this motion to spend thousands of dollars of our district's money to put this brief in that really 
may have next enough nothing no benefit right no benefit with with this with this lawsuit and so what was really cool and amy i promise i'll get out of your way then is um <laughs> is that teacher who's the the president of the central york education association got up and you could tell she was just completely fed up and she she called them out in the meeting during public comment and just said this is absolutely ridiculous you've spent over a year kicking curriculum down the road kicking the math program down the road banning books and not having the opportunity to vet them but you can somehow on the spot spend thousands of taxpayer dollars to support this lawsuit against the state about your own political games. And that's just, that's just, it was just the perfect example of who this board is and how they act. Now, James Johnson voted against it. Mike Wagner voted against it. They are two that have generally the most kind of reasonable uh, voices at the moment, but the rest, they were all there in support of it. And uh, they wanted to spend that money and be part of this fight against the state. Instead of instead of what really matters, and it was just amazing to hear her speak out and just call them out on their just gross hypocrisy and their playing political games. So, Amy, the door knocking gold medalist, uh, you're talking to a lot of just real everyday York County residents, and as uh, much to my surprise, we have gubernatorial candidates and their staff members who listen to this podcast. So. I just unfortunately think that a lot of these themes are still going to be resonating as we head into the spring primary and even next November. So I'm curious, what, what are you hearing? If you, if you could share a message of how statewide candidates should engage on education issues and should engage voters in your county, what expertise can you lend? Well, that's a, that's a big ask for, for bigger races since I'm not a politician and it's hard for me to say. I, I really just think that common sense is should always be our guide. And if something sounds, you know, I just feel like there's a lot of hypocrisy going on in our race, particularly, you know, like Joel saying about, you know, deciding to spend this money on this amicus brief that's going to do absolutely nothing, but then not doing the job that they're actually, they were, they were elected to do, which is, to pass curriculum, to make our schools better, to address the issues with our um, falling test scores and falling ranking. That should be the, at the forefront of all of their decisions. And if you're running for any race uh, in Pennsylvania or anywhere, whatever the biggest issues are that are facing your community, that should be, you should have a solution for how to address those concerns. And so I, having been in the school district and, and, as a substitute teacher and speaking with all these teachers and seeing all of these, uh, you know, lesson plans and, and working with students within the district, I see some of the issues and I can, I can tell you what they are. And I know that the teachers know how to solve these problems. And so by purposefully not talking to the people that know how to diagnose and cure the problems, you are willfully not doing your job and you are hurting the constituents that you have been elected to represent. And so I would say that that definitely, you know, spins into how anybody running for any office should, should approach things. If there is an issue and there is a, if there's something broken and you have a solution that's viable to fix it, that should be the focus. And that should be what your whole focus is when you're running, explaining that to voters. And once you're in office, 
you know, actually doing it, actually following through and doing your due diligence. And if you say you're going to vet a list, for instance, you vet the darn list. <laughs> if you are given curriculum that you are to approve because the experts say that this is a better curriculum than the one you're currently using that's causing your scores to drop and for your ranking to drop, then you look at the darn curriculum. And if you don't understand what you're looking at, you ask the people that do understand it. So that, I think that applies to any kind of office. I think that's, that applies to any time in our history and in our future. I think that applies. You use common sense. And if you're doing your job and your job requires X, Y, and Z, you do X, Y, and Z. You don't do B, G, and F. You know, you do your job. So I think that I'm trying to, when I knock on doors, I'm trying to make it clear, this board is not doing their job and they're, they're basically just taking whatever agenda they feel is, is the agenda du jour and they're, they're, they're throwing money at it or they're using it as a talking point or they're mudslinging with it rather than doing their jobs. That, and that's not how you run for office. Well, Amy and Joel, thank you so much uh, for your time, and thank you for being out there fighting the good fight in these uh, in these final few days. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to a special episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Please join us for future episodes by subscribing, and while you're at it, give us a rating and a review. We love listener feedback, so drop us a note via our website. PAPoliticsPodcast.org. And a very special thanks to Jake Schwartz for all his production assistance. I'm Ari Middleman, and this is Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics.